0: good morning welcome to our weekly bible talk go ahead and get your bibles open we're going to be looking at second peter uh, it was a couple of weeks ago that we began our study of second peter just to quickly remind you of a little bit of the context this book is written by the peter that we encounter in the gospels uh, the same peter that walked with jesus made the great confession in matthew 16 uh, denied uh, Jesus three times, uh, the night of the crucifixion. He's the Peter that cut the ear off of uh, Malchus's servant. Uh, th- this is the guy that writes Second Peter. Also, the author of First Peter, I do think that these books are both written by the same guy. There is this idea out there that Peter didn't write Second Peter. I think that's kind of ridiculous nonsense, but it does exist, and you might encounter it from time to time in commentaries. Uh, two weeks ago, when we last studied 2 Peter, uh, we talked about the way in which we share the same kind of faith as the, apo- <coughs> pardon me, as the apostles, <coughs> as uh, the great missionaries, great heroes of the faith. While their faith might be stronger than ours, it's not of a different substance. And I realize that distinction might seem kind of insignificant, but it's actually not. If you get that your faith is of the same substance as, say, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, uh, Martin Luther, Jim Elliott, uh, what that means is that I can grow in my faith and perhaps one day uh, do some of these things that seem just totally radical and impossible right now. Uh, God can grow me. God can mature me. It's not as if these great heroes of the faith are made of a totally different substance. No, they're you know flesh and blood like we are. Like James 5 talks about Elijah. as a man and with a nature like ours, and so also when you really get that, again, that that gives you something to aspire to, to pursue. That yes, I might not be ready now to uh, be a missionary to the uh, Indians in the jungles or something like that, but over time, God can grow me, mature me, and God can do through me uh, great uh, things, not at all due to me, but due to the power of His Word and Spirit. That was kind of the big theme that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We're going to pick up today in verse two, but before we do that, let's pray together. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for your living word. We love your word, and we praise you so much for giving it to us. We don't deserve it. We deserve nothing but your wrath. But you have shown so much grace and mercy on us, and we thank you for the grace expressed in your word. Please open now our minds and our hearts as we study together. Please give us conviction, illumination. Always give us grace to apply to our lives, that we might be doers of your word, not hearers only. For Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 2, we're going to continue on with this introduction and then we're going to get into the main part of the letter beginning in verse 3. But in verse 2 Peter writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Pause there for a second. You might think that this is just one of those sort of perfunctory introductions that most of the epistles have, and and most of the epistles in the New Testament start this way: "Grace and peace to you," or "Grace and mercy to you," or you know that sort of thing, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to just kind of skim over that and not really ponder what it means. But I want to pause here and ponder: What is Peter really saying to us here in verse two? Uh, Verse two, verse uh, the, the first word may clearly this is sort of a wish, more than a wish. You know, when we talk about wishes and whatnot in a Christian perspective, we're really talking about prayers. Uh, God is the one who controls all things, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father in heaven. Therefore, when we're saying may this or that happen, we're really implying may God do this or that. Um, I'm basically praying that this or that would happen. What then do you think he means when he says grace and peace be multiplied to you? Well, well, grace and peace are two uh, different gifts that come from God, and I want to ponder what those mean just for a second what's grace well grace is basically any good gift that god gives us that we don't deserve uh, there's a huge category of temporal common grace that we experience i mean rain from heaven sunshine happy children good health all of that is grace you know any gift that you don't deserve and really if we get that we deserve everlasting fire Hell, for our rebellion, absolutely every single day is filled with grace. Uh, safety driving here this morning, the, the ability to see, the fact that my heart continues to beat, uh, the fact that you know the, the earth just hasn't imploded, all of this is grace. And again, when you get that, that can give you so much reason to be thankful, to give God praise, uh, to, to even have a positive outlook. Yeah, my day might be rough. You know, Maybe I got a headache, maybe I didn't sleep great last night, and you know, I'm not getting along with my kids or something like that. And yet still, I've got a thousand and one different gifts of grace, and if I count those blessings, that can increase my gratitude and, and even my, change my, my disposition, my outlook on life. I can go from being kind of dour and sour to being far more optimistic and joyful. But when we talk about grace in more of a Christian sense, it seems to have to do more with that spiritual grace that we need to grow in godliness, to fight sin... Uh, so, you know, just kind of sketching up these categories broadly, there's common grace that everybody on the planet experiences every day, all day long. But then there's special grace that only those who are united to Jesus by faith enjoy. Uh, grace to be saved, of course, but also grace to do those good works that God has called us to do. Uh, I think of 2 Corinthians 9, 8 here, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Most of the grace that Peter, Paul, you know, the New Testament epistles are praying that we would receive is this grace to fight sin, walk in godliness, do good works, uh, our lives being characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. That's the kind of grace that we're talking about here. And you think about it, that is, for all of us, our greatest need. Our greatest need is not more money. Don't think, you know, if we just had more money, I'd be happy. Uh, Don't think my greatest need is a new car or a new house or or even better health. I mean, we appreciate good health, but my greatest need is to have this spiritual grace from God, initially to be saved and reconciled to God through Jesus. And if you haven't yet experienced that, I beg you to come to Jesus today. But after that, again, grace to put my sins to death, grace to have a good attitude when I'm frustrated, Uh, grace to be patient with my family members. I mean, imagine if you had this kind of grace in your individual life life in your family in your workplace in your church i mean wouldn't life be a whole lot better of course it would that's the grace that peter is wishing we would experience in this verse now peace what's that Uh, again there are various sort of facets to this Uh, initially there's the peace with god that we have through our lord jesus you know you think romans 5 1 having been justified by faith we have peace with god and again if you've not yet come to jesus I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this is, you know, I do, I think, have an evangelist's heart. I want to see everybody saved, everybody trust in the Lord Jesus. And until you put your hope in the Lord Jesus, you and God are not on good terms. God is your enemy. He's extraordinarily displeased with you because of your rebellion. You are God's enemy. You have rebelled God, basically, shook your fist at him and told him to get out of my life. And yet, terms of peace are offered if you'll embrace the Lord Jesus. That's sort of the initial saving piece. But again, after that, there's all sorts of peace that we can enjoy in our Christian life. Paul talks about in Philippians, I think, the peace that passes understanding. Uh, you know, you can have a calmness in this present evil age. Uh, even though there are wars going on, even though your family might be in chaos, I mean, you might have financial challenges. I mean, there's all sorts of temptations and tribulations that we experience. Uh, nonetheless, you can have peace, uh, peace of mind. But yes, the world has fallen apart, uh, but my name, Name is written in heaven, and because of that, I don't get uh, excessively worked up. Uh, yes, we might be in financial trouble, got a lot of debt, something like that. Uh, but the Lord will provide all of my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, so again, you can have this peace. And what I want you to notice about both of these, grace and peace, what does it say? They can be multiplied to you. They, they can increase. It's almost like a spectrum. But uh, both, you know, grace and peace, kind of low here down on the spectrum. Do I have much grace? Do I have much peace? Uh, well, not as much as I'd like. I'd like more grace to be patient with my kids, and I'd like far more peace of mind because my finances are, are not where they'd like to be. Realize those can, you can move up on the spectrum. You can increase these, and that's what Paul, or I'll probably say Paul many times, but the, the Danger with Paul having written like more than half the New Testament. I, I think you were actually technically slightly less than half of the New Testament. But anyway, um, with Paul writing about half of the New Testament, it's so easy to just say Paul said this or that when it's actually somebody else. And if I say Paul when we're studying Peter, just you know, kind of do the math in your head and know, know who I'm talking about. But the reason why Peter. Is praying that these things be multiplied is again because he can understand he understands that these things can be increased and so also this is something that we should be longing for aspiring for uh, again more so than all that the world has to offer our world is offering us alternatives to grace and peace uh, sure you might struggle with impatience with your kids but what you really need uh, is. Uh, a good bit of alcohol—that'll solve your problems. Or what you really need is, uh, you know, to run off on your family and run run away with a beautiful, you know, the beautiful secretary or something like that. That's what'll really solve your problems. There are all these worldly, satanic lies out there, uh, but God is saying, what you really need: grace and peace. And I'm offering these to you, and they can be increased. You might not have the grace and peace today that you need, or that, that, that you feel like you need, uh, but by the mercy of God, the grace of God, they they can increase so that eventually you have greater grace to do those good works that God calls you to do, uh, to be patient with your kids or to be uh, faithful to your spouse, that sort of thing. But notice where Peter says these things come from. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, real quick, you'll notice that knowledge is then branched off into two individuals. you got God and the Lord Jesus. Uh, all over the Bible, you have these places where God the Father and the Son are put in the same category. Uh, you would not say this about anybody else. You would never say, like, grace to you from God and from the angels. I mean, that, that's blasphemous. But the reason why you can put Jesus and the Father in the same category is because they are, at the end of the day, uh, two persons of the same God. I remind you, the Bible teaches what's called the Trinity. There is one God in whom are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, and, and so forth. And yet, together, they are the three persons who are the one God. Is that mind-boggling? Uh, does what I just said seem kind of irrational? Uh, it does to us, but it isn't actually in the mind of God and in, the, and in reality. In reality, this is who God is, and it only seems to us to be contradictory because we are so finite and small and our minds are so puny. But again, coming back to this verse here, you see the way in which the grace and the mercy, the grace and the peace that we need, it's found in God the Father and God the Son and in our relationship with him now it says in the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord now you've got to be careful when the bible talks about the knowledge of god because it might not mean what you think it means i remember very early on in my christian life uh, i thought the knowledge of god was basically learning more doctrinal facts you know if i can define omniscience if i can define omnipotence if i can define uh you know these big theological terms that's my knowledge of god uh and you know i'm, I'm, I'm all done Realize the Bible's not talking that way at all. Is doctrine a part of knowledge of God? Of course, but it's far from the sum and substance of knowing God. Uh, It really is more like what what Jesus is talking about in John 17. Uh, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. By the way, another passage putting the Father and the Son in the same category. But... Knowledge of God is this experiential thing, this personal thing, this relational thing. Uh, yes, again, good theology, doctrine is part of that, but it's, it's, it's really more like the foundation to have a relationship with God. You, you could think about it this way. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, Let's imagine a man and a wife. Do they know data about one another? Of course. Uh, you know, I know my wife's favorite foods, and I know where she likes to get her hair cut, and you know I, know, I know what she likes to watch on TV. All of that, I know data about my wife. But if that's all I know about my wife, I don't have an experiential, personal relationship with her. I don't really have a relationship with her. You know, I just I've got sort of like the kind of knowledge that you have about somebody on the back of a baseball card. I was, you know, many many moons ago, we used to collect baseball cards, and you'd have all the statistics on the back about how many home runs this guy's hit, his batting average, that sort of thing. Uh, but knowing that. Kind kind of information is worlds away from actually having a personal relationship with this person. Uh, You know, there's a difference between me having the baseball card of uh, Daryl Strawberry and Daryl Strawberry in his relationship with his wife. And when the Bible talks about the knowledge of God, it's more like that husband-wife relationship, not just having the data on the back of a baseball card. And again, early on in my Christian life, I kind of viewed it that way. If I can master the You know, doctrinal exam, and uh, you know, get all the get all the questions right on the theology test. uh, Then I've got a knowledge of God. Now, again, that is so so minimal. It's so much more than that. The doctrine is a means of getting to know God, and and without that doctrine, you can't really know God. I mean, God is not this amorphous cloud up in the sky that you you don't know anything about. Of course, we need to know about the attributes of God, the works of God, about the Trinity, all of these things, and yet they're a means to relating to Him, to getting to know Him. And I'd encourage you, I know that our church tends to attract kind of heady doctrinal types, and I'm, I'm delighted with that. I'm not trying to drive anybody away. But make sure you view your theology as a means to an end, not an end in itself. A means to knowing God, relating to God, rejoicing in God trusting God and not just, again, I can out-debate somebody when it comes to the five points of Calvinism or something like that. I'm afraid a lot of Christians of, of my sort, you know, I'm talking to, my own, I'm talking to myself here, have confused uh, being able to define all these theological terms with a knowledge of God when it's actually not the case. But again, kind of tying this all together, if I want the grace that I need to abound in every good work, love my kids, work hard at my job, be honest, put sin to death, if I want that peace that God offers, uh, peace in a world gone crazy, peace even if my finances are going down the tubes, where does it come from? It comes from cultivating my relationship with God, my personal experiential relationship with God the Father and with his son Jesus. And how do I do that? Well, there's no shortcut to that, but things like regular time, prayerfully reading God's word. And again, reading God's word, not just to learn facts about doctrine, but learning about who God is and how I relate to him. How do I respond to him? You know, Just to give you an example of this, let's talk about something like omnipresence. What's that means? The big term meaning God is everywhere all the time. God's here in this room. God's... In Mexico, God's in China, God's on the moon, God's absolutely everywhere. Now I can learn that in a doctrinal sense. All right, God is omniscient, meaning God is everywhere. But then I can also learn it in sort of a practical experiential way. What does it mean that God is with me at all times? What that means is that uh, God looks at, he he can see what I'm looking at when I'm surfing around on the internet and seeing stuff that I shouldn't see. Uh, He's with me when I'm driving through kind of a You know, a sleazy part of town and tempted to do this or that. Uh, God is present when me and my wife are having a difficult conversation. We can't get along. Uh, God is present. You you understand what I'm getting at? So you take the doctrine, but then you think through how does this really apply to how I live and how I relate to God? That is what it means to have a personal, experiential relationship with God. And again, that's the way in which you get the grace and the peace that you need to, to flourish in this life. So, Prayerful time reading the Bible. Uh, Prayer, crying out to God. And again, it's not just sort of reciting your prayers. Um, I do, from time to time, use pre-written prayers and can find them helpful, kind of give you good ideas of what to pray for. But if you think, I'm just going to rattle off this prayer that I got out of a prayer book, and that's my prayer time, uh, again, you're sorely confused. Prayer is talking to God, processing with him what you're going through, talking about your fears, about your anxieties, about uh, temptations you're experiencing. That's the second aspect of this experiential relationship with God. But then thirdly, and, and we've got to emphasize this, it's fellowship with the family of God, being involved in a good church, getting plugged, in, and not just sort of attending the Sunday worship gathering. Of course, that's part of it, but if you just like slip in at 1045 when they start and then slip out at noon when it's over and don't really build relationships, don't really uh, get to know people, don't, don't really open up your life, you're not benefiting from church uh, like 90% of what you could. Because again, the church is the family of God, Not just a building, not just a service, or something like that. You can get better services online if you want to watch better services. There are better ones that uh, we, we, you know, than we can perform here, uh, provide here. But you can't, you can't imitate the family of God online. That's why you need a local church. But these are the three ways whereby we come to know God in this personal, experiential way: uh, the Bible, prayer, and time uh, with the church family. And again, the connection here is that this is how I'm going to grow in the grace and the peace that I need. It's probably enough on that verse. It, that obviously that'll give us a lot to pray for when our prayer time comes. Um, but do realize, I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't actually believe what I just said. You know, I've I've talked this way many times before that what you most need is not money. What you most need is not a better job, not a bigger house. Uh, what, what you bu- most need is grace, peace from God, which comes through getting to know God. I have said that message hundreds of times over the years, and what I've encountered is a lot of Christians don't seem to actually believe that. They're like, nice sermon, Pastor Tim, but then they go off and they you know, totally devote themselves to Netflix and playing golf and earning as much money as they possibly can and totally neglect uh, their relationship with God. I'd really challenge you to think through, is that you? You you may have given mental assent to everything that I've said here, that your greatest need is to uh, better come to know God. Uh, But is that really reflected in your life, your choices, the way that you manage your time? Are you carving out time to spend with God? Or are you basically living just like a moral, decent American while totally neglecting your relationship with God? I think how we live in some ways reveals far better what we actually believe than what we profess. Anyway, that introduction then I think uh, sets the table for the rest of the book. I think the rest of the book is going to expand on these themes. And keep that in mind, by the way, whenever you study the epistles, about nine times out of ten, the author will introduce a lot of the themes that he's going to develop later on in the book in the introduction. Uh, I think of Romans along these lines. We're studying Romans on our, in, our, in our Wednesday night Bible study. And so many of the themes that Romans expands on in chapters you 1-16 know, through 16, he introduces in the first about 16-17 uh, verses. So just kind of keep that principle in mind. But anyway, let's pick up in verse 3, see how far we can go. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Pause there. Uh, Now, isn't verse 3 an amazing promise? His divine power. We're talking about the infinite power of God, the, the God who created this universe out of nothing. I mean, we cannot imagine anything more powerful than God. To just say, let there be a universe and kaboom, a universe appears, you, you, how could you even imagine something with greater power, but that power has given us what he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, you have potentially absolutely everything that you need uh everything for life what's that mean I mean what is life? life is life life includes absolutely everything my relationships, how i'm going to manage my money, how I'm going to work my job, uh, trusting God for the future, raising my kids, cultivating my marriage. God has given us by his infinite power. Everything for life, and not only that, but also godliness. You want to grow in godliness? Uh, God is offering to give you everything that you need. Now, having said all of this, it does kind of point the finger at us. If we don't have what we think we need for life and godliness, the fault is not God's. We can't blame God. God, if you only gave me this or that, then my life would be better. Then my godliness would be better. Uh, No, he is offering to you absolutely everything that you need for both life and godliness, and the reason why we don't have it is because we're failing to take advantage of it. Uh, you know, we are in so many ways like Adam in the garden. We want to blame God for our problems, and do keep that principle in mind. Um, I think the Adam and Eve story is absolutely a, a literal historical uh, event that it took place in real time and space, and yet we can see so many of the, the tendencies repeated in us that when we get caught in sin, we want to blame God, blame other people. You know, it's this woman that you gave me. Uh, That's exactly who we are. And so also when we have problems in life and godliness, we want to blame somebody else. Uh, We want to blame, you know, our culture. We want to blame the internet. We want to blame our kids or family or whatnot. When in reality, God is offering everything that you need for life and godliness according to his infinite divine power. But again, where is this found? It's interesting. Here's another reiteration of that same theme. Uh, through the knowledge of him again that experiential personal relationship with God I've said enough about that theme so I won't repeat it again Um, but everything you need comes in your relationship with God your most important need is to grow in your relationship with God I don't know how else I can emphasize this more uh, emphatically uh, but your greatest need is to either come to know God in the first place through trusting in Jesus or growing in that relationship with God and therein you'll find absolutely everything you need All the problems you're encountering uh, will be gradually solved as you cultivate your relationship with God. Uh, He'll guide you. He'll help you figure out what you need to do. He'll motivate you to work hard. You know, let's say you you might be sitting there thinking, okay, my problem right now is that my car is a piece of junk and I can't get it to run. Um, How is growing in my relationship with God going to somehow relate to that? Well, here's how it relates. Uh, Yes, my car might be a piece of junk, but what do I need? I need, you know, maybe to work harder, to save more money, to not waste so much money on Netflix, maybe to learn a thing or two about car maintenance and car repair. As I grow in my relationship with God, that gives me some of the motivation I need to work hard in these other areas to solve this problem, as opposed to just sort of sitting on the couch and waiting for the car to fix itself. You see what I'm saying? So also, let's say your marriage isn't Doing too well. How do I? How does growing in my relationship with God fix my marriage? Well, again, as you grow in your relationship with God, that'll give you the motivation you need to forgive your spouse when he or she sins against you, to seek forgiveness from your spouse when you sin against them, uh, to to make time to spend with your spouse, understanding that I'm called to love my, you know, if I'm a man called to love my wife as Christ loves the church, that sort of thing. So again, so much of the motivation to do what we need to do comes from our personal relationship with God. So I say it again, God is offering to you everything that you need for life and. Godliness, absolutely everything. It's, it's as if, you know, he, like the Psalms say, he owns a cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills, and he's offering to give you all the help that you need to abound in every good work, but it's going to come as you get to know him. Grow in your trust of him, reliance on him, understand his great works, apply different doctrines to your life. That's how you're going to get the grace that you need uh, to grow in godliness. I suppose that's enough to talk about today. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in verse 4. But a lot that we can pray for here, I think the big thing is, Lord, please help us to prioritize our relationship with you. It's so easy to get distracted, so easy to get caught up in earthly things. Lord, help me to prioritize time in your word, time in prayer, fellowship with the local church, because those are really the only means that I have to grow in my relationship with God, which at the end of the day is my greatest need and will improve all of my problems. Let me pray to this sin and we'll be done. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, thank you so much that grace and peace are found in you, uh, that we can grow in our experience of grace and peace. Thank you for the way that according to your divine power, you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And yet, Lord, all these things come through cultivating our relationship with you. So help us, Lord. Convict us of our sin, our neglect. Give us repentance. Help us to prioritize on a daily basis, time in your word, time in prayer. Help us to make attending, and more than attending, really fellowship and involvement with a good local church a priority. And and work, Lord, through these means that we might get to know you more, trust you more, love you more, um, and then enjoy the grace and the peace that you offer. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day.